You're listening to the Bonfire Podcast, fanning the flames of the gospel to the ends of the world. Come on, let's dive into the Word. Well, welcome to the Bonfire Podcast, everyone. We are glad that you're joining us for another episode. If this is your first time listening, we want to say welcome to you, encourage you to come in and listen to what we have to say. Maybe go back and check some of our older uh, content, and then if you enjoy what you're hearing and you like what we're going through here, we'd ask you to become a subscriber and listen to us on a regular basis. We try to release new episodes each week on Sunday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. For those of you who have been following along for such a long time, uh, we're approaching quickly two years of ministry here. We want to say thank you to you for your dedication and for listening. We ask that you continue to spread the word and tell others about what we're doing here. And one of the best ways you can do that is by going on to one of the podcast applications and leaving a review or a comment. Uh, Particularly, we have a lot of you listening through Apple Podcasts, and uh, you can go there, you can do a little star rating and leave a comment. And by doing that, you actually push our content higher in the search engines and allow people to find us um, easier. So if you could just take just a few seconds there, leave us um, a review, rate the podcast there, and we would very much appreciate that. I also want to say thank you to those of you that may have came out to the Holston Creek Cross Country 5K. Uh, We didn't have an opportunity to necessarily advertise as much as uh, we've done in past years on the podcast, but we were a sponsor again for that race, and uh, same race that we sponsored last year. And uh, really a unique race. It's a 5K, walk, run, crawl, whatever it takes to get to the finish line. But there as you come to the end, we uh, pass out pieces of lumber. You're able to put that on your back as you go across the finish line and then ultimately drop that at the foot of the crawl. So it's uh, just a great uh, day of physical activity, a great day of competition, uh, but also a great day to reflect and uh, to have kind of a spiritual moment there as you get to the, the, the cross. And so, again, thank you for all who came out, and uh, we got to talk to a couple of you that are listening, and maybe there may be a few of you that are listening now just because you saw us there. So uh, thank you for that. Well, Dad, we finished up on our last episode, um, our series, Dear Church. And so I've been kind of wrestling and struggling with where do we go from here. And with the Easter uh, season being upon us just here in a couple weeks away, uh, much of my personal study, I've been spending time looking at the life of Jesus and the events that led up to his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And as I was studying this week, one event seemed to stand out to me. It really stood out to me and spoke to me, and that was the Last Supper. And uh, I know many of you who are listening know the story and the meaning, but we're going to dive into that today and look closer at this Last Supper and then ultimately the ordinance that came from that, uh, the Lord's Supper that we still observe today. But it was during the celebration of Passover and, and on the eve of his death when Jesus gathered his disciples in an upper room to share a meal. Once they were gathered together, Jesus took the cup and the loaf. Now these were ingredients of a common meal in that day, but he transformed them into a meaningful spiritual experience. This was such an important and pivotal moment in time, for not only did through this meal Jesus establish the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, but through it he introduced the new covenant. And this new covenant is the promise that God would forgive sin and restore fellowship with those whose hearts are turned toward him. This new covenant would be made possible through the shedding of Jesus' blood on the cross at Calvary. Jesus ultimately, as the perfect sacrifice, would go forward to pay the sin debt for the world through his death on the cross. Unfortunately, his disciples didn't understand the magnitude of this meal at the moment, 
and that no longer would they be under the old covenant of the law, but under a new covenant of grace and forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ. We as modern-day New Testament believers have the benefit of having the full Word of God in our hands, so it's important that we not be like these disciples and miss the magnitude of the message of the Lord's Supper. For each time we take of the cup and of the bread through the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, our spirit should be stirred as we reflect on God's covenant with man for the forgiveness of sin and reconciliation to him that was made possible through the blood of Jesus Christ. Each time we partake, we should be in awe at the majesty of his grace and the magnitude of our guilt. The Lord's Supper gives us an opportunity for spiritual growth and blessings but we have to approach it in the right manner with our hearts appropriately positioned. You know, Dad, I, I believe, and, and, and as I think about us approaching the Easter season, I would imagine that most of our listeners, uh, if attending a local Bible-believing New Testament church, will probably have the opportunity to partake in the ordinance of the Lord's Supper sometime in the next couple weeks. So I thought it would be fitting for us to discuss the importance and the appropriate manner at mm. which we approach uh, this ordinance. Our scripture text for this episode, and that will be the basis of our discussion, is coming from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 32. If you've got your Bible, I encourage you to turn with us there. And as you're turning, I'll give you just a little bit of background of what we're seeing here. 1 Corinthians is the writings of the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. And at the time of this writing, the church at Corinth was struggling to maintain the appropriate behaviors and practices of that of Christians. His letter is largely uh, containing correction and instruction for the Christians there in Corinth. In the preceding verses to the text that we're going to talk about tonight, you'll see that approaching the Lord's Supper in the appropriate manner was one of the things that these uh, Christians in Corinth were struggling with. So in verses 23 through 32, Paul, being inspired by God, gave the instruction of how one should approach the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. Dad, if you wouldn't mind, read our scripture and and, and get us started uh, off in our, our discussion tonight. All right, starting at verse 23, the apostle Paul writes, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks... He broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now that's a key thing there. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. You know, Matt, as I look at this, The Lord's Supper, several things stand out pertaining to the Lord's Supper 
and about what it means. First of all, the Lord's Supper requires a backward look from us. Now, I read verses 23 through 25. Uh, The Lord's Supper is to remind us of Jesus. Remember, I tried to emphasize in reading that where Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Now, what in specific did Jesus want us to remember? He wanted us to remember that he died for us. On that night when Jesus broke the unleavened bread and gave it to his disciples, he was, by the way of doing it, showing his disciples that in like manner his body was to be broken for them. And oh, how his body was broken. His back was lacerated repeatedly by the whip just before his crucifixion. His beard was pulled out by the cruel Roman soldiers. And on top of that, nails were driven into his hands and his feet. And a crown of thorns was pressed down upon his head. Jesus may not have had any bones broken, but his flesh was shredded to pieces. Jesus' meal with his disciples in the upper room pointed to this, And our breaking of the bread points us back to it and reminds us of the awful price that Jesus paid to rescue us from sin's penalty. During World War I, the Prince of Wales visited 36 severely wounded men in a hospital in the outskirts of London. The prince and his escorts went through the main ward and shook hands with most of them. As preparations were made to leave, the prince indicated that he'd only seen 30 men. Uh, Where are the other six? The prince was informed that the six others were extremely severe cases and in a different section of the ward. However, at the insistence of the prince, he was allowed to continue with his visits. Five other maimed and bruised men were viewed. After visiting with these men, the prince then inquired, Well, where's the last one? The prince was told that the grotesqueness of the man's appearance would be simply unbearable. But hearing this, it did not deter the prince from making this final visit. At the insistence of the prince, the prince was taken to where this final wounded soldier was at. After being escorted into his room, the prince stood at a distance, silent for a moment, and then moved toward the maimed soldier's bed, stooping down to kiss him. With a breaking voice, the prince of Wales was heard to say, Wounded for me. In reference to Jesus' suffering for our sins, Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Jesus, when he broke the bread, he was pointing to the fact that his body would be broken for us. When Jesus shared the cup of the unfermented wine with his disciples in the upper room, he was showing them that his blood would be poured out for them. And when we drink this unfermented wine today in the celebration of the Lord's Supper, we're reminded of the blood that Jesus shed for us. You know, in thinking about that, I thought about another illustration, Matt. Uh, This one's of a little girl. She lay injured in a hospital. An accident caused her to lose a lot of blood. 
A call went out for transfusions, but her blood type was hard to find. They discovered that the blood of her seven-year-old brother was the same as hers. The doctor said, son, your sister is very, very sick. And unless she gets some blood, I'm afraid the angels are going to take her to heaven. Are you willing to give your baby sister your blood? The boy's face turned pale and his eyes widened with fright. He whispered to the doctor, I'll give my sister my blood. The doctor smiled and said, that's a fine boy. I knew you weren't afraid. The boy was uneasy as he watched the tube carrying blood to his sister. The doctor said, don't be nervous, son. It will be over before long. Big tears welled up in the little boy's eyes. He said, will I die pretty soon? He thought he was giving up his life so that his baby sister might live. And though the little boy didn't die, Jesus did. The cross was no transfusion, but a crucifixion that provides our transformation. So you see, that breaking of the bread, that pouring out of that juice, that drinking of it reminds us of Jesus' death and what was entailed in his death, his body being broken, his skin being lacerated, and the blood pouring out from him. Now, today there's a great deal of difference in the way Protestants and Catholics look at the bread and the juice that is part of the Lord's Supper. As Protestants, we believe that when Jesus held the bread in his hand and said, this is my body, he was implying that the bread represented his body. Catholics, on the other hand, believe that the bread and the Lord's Supper is not just a symbol of Jesus's body, but after it is consecrated by the priest, that it actually becomes the literal body and the literal blood of Jesus. Therefore, when you eat the bread of communion, you're actually eating the body of Jesus. And when you drink the juice, you're actually drinking the blood of Jesus. This doctrine in Catholicism is called the doctrine of transubstantiation. Now, here's a little, a little funny that shows just how ridiculous the doctrine of transubstantiation is, Matt. Mm -hmm. uh, each Friday night after work, Bubba would fire up his outdoor grill and cook venison steak. But all of Bubba's neighbors were Catholic, and since it was Lent, they were forbidden from eating red meat on Friday. The delicious aroma from the grilled venison steaks was causing such a problem for the Catholic faithful that they finally talked to their priest. The priest came to visit Bubba and suggested that he become a Catholic. Well, after several classes and much study, Bubba attended Mass. The priest sprinkled holy water over him and said, You were born a Baptist? and raised a Baptist, but now you're a Catholic. Bubba's neighbors were greatly relieved until Friday night arrived, and the wonderful aroma of grilled venison filled the neighborhood. The priest was called immediately by the neighbors as the priest rushed into Bubba's yard, clutching a rosary, and prepared to scold him. He stopped and watched in amazement. There stood Bubba, clutching a small bottle of holy water, which he carefully sprinkled over the grilling meat while chanting, You was born a deer, you was raised a deer, but now you are a catfish. <laughs> <laughs> the disciples knew that when Jesus held the bread and said, This is my body, that he didn't mean that the bread was 
his literal physical body because, after all, he was holding it in his literal hand. It is plain to see that the bread of the Lord's Supper represents the body of Jesus that was broken on our behalf, and the juice represents his blood that was shed for our remission. That's exactly right, Dad. And, you know, as we take communion or, or, or participate in the Lord's Supper, supper we are to, to look back, but we're not just to look back, we're also uh, to look forward to the future with a hopeful anticipation. And you may be asking, what do you mean, look forward with hopeful anticipation? Well, I want you to look again at verse 26 here. It says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so this right here, my friends, is, is telling us that as we take communion, we not only should be looking behind and looking back at what Jesus done, we should be looking to the future at his return. Friends, one day, there's coming a day when Jesus is going to return and he's going to take his children home to be with him. We've talked about this scripture, Dad, many times on this podcast, but you know what's one of my favorites, and so we're going to read it again. I love the way the, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting at verse 15. It says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise, and then those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be. Yes, there's coming a day, friends, when Jesus is going to step out on the clouds and there's going to be a trumpet blast and the shout of the archangel is going to be let loose and the dead in Christ are going to rise and those of us who are remained, we're going to throw off this old earthly tent and we're going to be changed in a twinkling of an eye over into a glorified body and begin our life in eternity with Jesus Christ. As the hymnist wrote, looking to this day, he said, There will be no more sorrow there, no more burdens to bear, no more sickness, no more pain, no more parting over there. But forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day that will be. You see, friends, when we partake in the Lord's Supper, we should look to the future with hopeful anticipation for Jesus' return. But this isn't something that we should just do when we're absorbing the or, this ordinance. This is how we should live our lives. And the Bible clearly teaches that we should eagerly await the return of Christ and be ready for His return at any time. Dad, the early church the early Christians, they, they understood this and they practiced it. Each day they eagerly awaited Christ's return. They believed wholeheartedly that he could return at any moment. Did they quit everything and just look up to the sky? No. They lived their lives and went through each day with eager anticipation and an urgency. But I'm afraid somewhere along the way, uh, the church as a whole kind of lost this view. Maybe it was years of Jesus not returning, or maybe it was a, a growing cold of our hearts. But I strongly believe God is calling his children to live in hopeful anticipation and to have an urgent concern for those who are lost around them. And if you don't have this hopeful anticipation, maybe the next time you partake in the Lord's Supper would be a good time to start. So as you, again, hold that bread and, and drink that cup and you think about 
what Jesus did for you, you have to think about that the story didn't end there. It wasn't just his death, mm-hmm. but he also arose. And when he arose, uh, he he beat over uh, sin, hell, death, and the grave. And because of that, we can look to a life in eternity with him. And so we need to look to the future with hopeful anticipation. Dad, we've talked about looking behind us. We've talked about looking um, to the future but we also need to look at ourselves when we have communion. Can you talk to us about that? That's a real prerequisite for partaking of communion is to examine yourself. Uh, over in First uh, Corinthians eleven twenty-seven and 28, let me read that again. Paul writes, Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, and I'm going to come back to that word unworthy in a little bit, in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man, this is what Paul says, examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Matt, I think you'll like this since you're a pharmacist. A little illustration here. A boy went to a drugstore. He pulled a dollar bill out of his pocket and he asked the pharmacist for change. He went to a payphone and he put in money and he made his call. Mr. Jones, do you have a yard boy? He asked. Oh, I see. And is he doing a good job for you? Hmm. So you're not looking to make a change anytime soon. Okay. Well, have a good day and bye. The pharmacist came out from behind the counter, put his arm around the boy and said, I'm sorry, son, that you didn't get the job. Oh, I got the job, sir, the boy replied. I was just calling to check up on myself. (laughs) Well, we have to check up on ourselves, and we should do that before we present ourselves at the Lord's table. You know, going back to verse 28, Paul said, but let a man examine himself. The word Paul used for examine means test and is often used in relation to the testing of metals. Now, metals oftentimes contain impurities, and, uh, and these are revealed when the metal is tested. Well, like with the metals, we as Christians carry spiritual impurities. The Lord's Supper is a time in which we should examine our hearts for those spiritual impurities or sins and confess them to the Lord. Uh, Matt, when I was a, a boy, when uh, my mom, which would be your, uh, your grandmother, called me to the table and saying it was time to eat, she would invariably ask, have you washed your hands? You see, it was a prerequisite that you had to have clean hands before you sat down at the table. In similar manner, before you participate at the Lord's table, you need to examine yourself and to see if there's any unconfessed sin in your life separating you from fellowship with the Lord. If there is, before you partake of the bread and drink from the cup that represents Christ's body and blood, you need to confess your sins to God. Now, 1 John 1, 9 is a wonderful promise. It said, if we would confess our sins, then he, talking about God, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us and wash us from all unrighteousness. Now, I'm going to go back to that word unworthy while ago. Paul didn't say that we had to be worthy to partake of the Lord's Supper because there is only one worthy, and his name is Jesus. However, we're advised by Paul not to participate 
in the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. If we are to participate in a worthy manner, we must examine our own hearts, judge our sins, and confess them to the Lord. Now, according to verse 27, to come to the Lord's table with unconfessed sin in our lives is to be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord, for it was sin that nailed him to the cross. If we will not examine ourselves, judge our own sins, then Paul says that God will judge us and chasten us until we do confess and forsake our sins. In the case of the Corinthian Christians, God had chastened some of them that had partaken of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner through sickness and others by death. Prior to partaking of the Lord's Supper, we should do as the psalmist who cried out, Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. Examination does no good where there's not repentance. It does no good to simply know where we have fallen short and not change the way we live. Now, you may be partaking of communion, the Lord's Supper, this coming Sunday at your church, perhaps the next Sunday, or a lot of churches have a special service on Thursday evening just just before Easter to commemorate when Jesus sat down and instituted the Lord's Supper with his disciples. And if that's the case, whenever you find yourself sitting at the Lord's table, you remember what I told you before you go to the table. Not only do you need clean hands, but you need a clean heart. You need to ask God to forgive you of your sins, for it's your sins that caused Jesus to go to the cross. It was my sins as well, of course. Now, let me ask you today, You might not be partaking of the Lord's Supper now for sure, but are there any sins in your life that you need to confess and turn from? None of us have made it through the week sinless. The Bible says that if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. So I just encourage you to take this moment to confess your sins to the Lord Jesus the sins that he brings to your mind, and then to turn away from them. And if you've got any difficulty thinking of sins to confess, ask yourself these questions. Have I gossiped about someone this week? Have I cheated my employer when it comes to work? Have I kept the promises that I made to God? Have I been faithful to witness to the lost? Have I read my Bible and prayed as I should? Have I been kind to everyone? You might be thinking after these questions, well, I guess I just won't partake of the Lord's Supper next time it's offered. Well, when a person who is a Christian, listen now, when a person who is a Christian refuses to take the Lord's Supper, he or she is saying, I refuse to examine myself. I refuse to repent of my sins. And when you refuse to repent, you're inviting God's judgment. And besides partaking of the Lord's Supper with unconfessed sin in your life, I believe there is one other way that a person can partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, and that is to not be a Christian and partake of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is for Christians. If you're not a born-again child of God, you should not partake of the elements of the Lord's Supper. Parents, you shouldn't allow your children or your grandchildren to sit beside you uh, to eat the bread that represents Christ's broken body and drink the juice that represents his shed blood until they've been saved. The question, why can't I eat the bread, should be answered by you once you get home. It will provide you a perfect opportunity to share the gospel with them. Jesus intended for the Lord's Supper to be a time of remembrance. He intended for it to be a time of reflection, too. That's exactly right. 
And so we've talked about a time of remembrance, a time of, uh, of looking forward, a time of looking within. And kind of lastly, as we begin to wrap up here, the last thing that we should do uh, as we take the Lord's Supper is we should look around. Um, we should look around, and this looking around is looking around at the believers around us, and that's not to criticize other believers, but to unite with them as we participate in this holy ordinance together. The Supper, the Lord's Supper, should be a demonstration of the unity of the church. It's the body of Christ coming together to celebrate the new covenant made possible through the precious blood of Jesus and to look to his return. Just as Jesus in- intended on the eve of his death, the Lord's Supper is to be a family meal, and the Lord wants his family to be in unity and to love one another. And so, Dad, similar to what you're saying here about searching yourself for sin, uh, I believe this is almost a prerequisite here as well, is before we go into communion or we go into the Lord's Supper, we need to look around us to our fellow believers to see if we're out of harmony with with one another. Mm -hmm. Is there a brother or a sister that I've got something that's between me and him or me and her? And if so, I need to get that right. Because when we go into the ceremony and this ordinance and we begin to take of the bread and take of the cup, this is a serious thing. And it's intended to be a family meal and the family needs to love one another. And I believe if you don't, if you do it wrong, you're at risk of doing it un- unworthy, as, uh, as Paul wrote there. And that caused a lot of problems there for the church at Corinth. Mm-hmm. And so I would encourage you to look around and try to, to make amends with your fellow believers. It's hard to believe, but it's, it's possible for you to be close to Christ, but distant to your brother or sister in Christ. And so making sure that you get that right as you go to observe the Lord's Supper is, is kind of the last recommendation that we have for you here. Dad, as I was uh, thinking about this, the, the other thing that came to mind that, that we need to make sure we do when we uh, observe the Lord's Supper is to give thanks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Jesus took the bread and he broke it, he took the cup, That's but right. he gave thanks in this process. He was about to, to go to death, but he took time to thank God. I thank God not only for the meal, but he thanked God for the the process that was about to undertake uh, to redeem the world. And that's what we should be doing. We should be joyful. Yeah. We should be th- giving thanks to God for what he's done for us. You know, the communion definitely should be a time of, of reflection and introspection, but it shouldn't be an agonizing, you know, kind of spiritual autopsy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should be joyful in this process. Right. And yes, we should confess sin, and yes, we should get right with our fellow believers, but we should also be thankful for what God's done for us. And again, have that hopeful anticipation as we look toward the future. The other thing that came to my mind as I was uh, studying this and, and looking at this, uh, you know, we, we position these as these are recommendations or this is the scripture way of, of addressing the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. But as I thought about it, Dad, this is really a way that we should address the entire Easter season. Mm-hmm. You know, th- this is a way that we should approach this time of year. Uh, it should be a time of reflection. It should be a time of introspection. It should be a time of looking forward with hopeful anticipation. And it should be a time of unity where we're getting things right with our believers. So don't just right. allow these uh, tips or these steps to be part of one service. May it be uh, part of your your celebration of Easter this year uh, to follow these as you remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. That's exactly right. Well, in conclusion, I want to tell you another little short story. Leslie Weatherhead tells of a little boy who was admitted to an orphanage after his parents were killed. One of the first items on the agenda was to find him a new set of clothes. He was given a new pair of pants, a new shirt, and a pair of shoes that shined so much that he could see his face in the glow. 
Lastly, he was offered a new hat, but he refused to take it. He wouldn't depart with his old worn-out hat. Finally, one of the ladies that worked at the orphanage coaxed him into trying on the new cap, too. He tried it on. He liked it, but then did something very funny. He reached inside his old cap and tore the lining out and placed it in his pocket. Noticing the puzzled look on the lady's face, the little boy said to her, The lining is a part of my mother's dress. It's all I've got left of her, and somehow it seems to bring her back. The Lord's Supper was given to bring Christ and what he did to purchase our salvation back to our minds. When Christ instituted it, he saw it as something that was very important. That's exactly right. And Dad, I think that's probably the best way that we could end uh, the podcast is with that illustration there. I hope that as we move through this Easter season that uh, you will have time that you can reflect and meditate on uh, just how good God is and, and sending His Son to be the penalty for our sin and that you will uh, maybe have the opportunity to partake in communion. If you do, I hope you'll do it a little bit different this time and and use this biblical guidance here of how you should approach uh, communion. I know for me, Dad, uh, out of all those steps, the the anticipation was the one that that I don't do as well with. I never really... I've given much uh, thought to that. I'm always looking back, but I need to remember to look forward. So I'm going to do that next time I have the opportunity to uh, partake in the Lord's Supper. So hope this uh, is helpful to you. We look forward to seeing you back again next week. We're going to uh, stay kind of in our Easter theme here for the next couple of weeks, so we'll have something for you next week. Uh, but in the meantime, I hope you're studying and praying, spending time in God's Word. And, Dad, if you would, pray us out of here. Hey, one more thing. You know everybody in podcast land— the story about bubbles, a little joke, but I'll tell you what, the Lord's Supper is to be taken serious. It's a serious thing. So when you partake of the Lord's Supper at your church coming up, be mindful of what it's all about. That's right. Father in heaven, we want to let you know, oh God, we love you. And we thank you, God, for loving us. Thank you, Lord, because you knew what would happen to Jesus, your only begotten son, when he came to this world and when he offered himself up as a sacrifice for us, as our substitute to pay the penalty for our sins, you knew how awful it was going to be for Jesus. Our Heavenly Father, we don't take lightly what Jesus did for us. We want to express our appreciation to you right now for what Jesus did. Just like Matt talked about a while ago, part of the Lord's Supper is the giving of thanks. So we express our appreciation to you now once again for what Jesus did for us. And we're going to do that when we sit down at the Lord's table, being appreciative, not taking for granted his broken body and shed blood. If there is someone out there in in the audience listening, I pray to your God that if they're not saved, that they would ask Jesus to forgive them of their sins accept what he did on their behalf to pay the penalty for their sins and invite him to come and live inside of them and change their life. And then, Lord, go to church, present themselves as a candidate for baptism and be, and be baptized in obedience to Christ's command and then partake of the Lord's Supper and do it often to show love for Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bonfire Podcast. We encourage you to subscribe wherever you stream your podcast content. Also, be sure to rate us on iTunes and Facebook so that others will know about the podcast. If you have a question that you'd like to see us address on an episode, feel free to email us at bonefireministries at gmail.com.